good morning to all of you. It's good to be with you here to, to worship together. I invite you to go ahead and begin turning to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16 in just a little bit here. Genesis chapter 4. But before we look closely at that, I would, I would like for us to recall what has happened in the first three chapters of Genesis. The great thing about preaching out of Genesis 4 is to set context. You only have three chapters you have to do that with, right? So Genesis 1 through 3, uh, they might be some of the more familiar chapters to you. We start out, of course, in, in uh, chapter 1 with those very famous words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so as this story is told of creation, there's a, a daily accounting of this creation that God pronounces as something good, right? Genesis chapter 1, this daily good creation that's made. And we get to chapter 2, and man has already been created, but what we have in chapter 2 is kind of this zooming in on the creation of man. We get a closer look at that creation, and, and actually as we, we get that, we, we receive another detail, namely that right at first, there was something that was not good. So the, the days are good that God is seeing what he has created. He says, this is good, this is good. Chapter 2, with this zooming on man, there's something that's not good. Namely, the fact that there is not a helper suitable for Adam, right? And Eve. And God quickly remedies that and, and creates Eve. And so there's an increased community focus here in chapter 2 that we have as we zoom in on the creation of man. Well, it's not very long in the book of Genesis until we get to this place where the scene changes quite a bit, doesn't it? So, so chapter 3 tells quite a, a different story than this good, functional community in this creation that God has made. Chapter 3, we see that sin enters into the picture, and with it, multifaceted community disruption in chapter 3. Part of the way that comes out is in, in 3.16, you might remember those words as God is proclaiming the, the curse that has come because of sin, and he, he speaks to Eve, and he says, your desire shall be for your husband, perhaps referring there to her husband's place and, and having that, but what will happen? But he will rule over you, right? So there's, there's some relational tension that's introduced in chapter 3 that we have and what we what we see in this as as this continues to develop at least at least there's still some hope that's offered even in this terrible sin chapter of chapter 3 there there's this this hope that's that's offered because we're told that there's going to arise one there will be an offspring that's born that will bruise the head of the serpent who has been the deceiver. So there is hope that's given even in this, this uh, dark chapter of chapter 3. And, and actually as we roll into chapter 4, uh, there, there's a brightness to the beginning of that. It's a, it starts out as a bright scene that so quickly once again, because remember sin is in the world, it's a bright scene that turns sour very quickly. And so hopefully you're there at Genesis chapter 4 by now. And I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, with me as we, as we read chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 from Genesis. 
Here's what we read. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away today from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away. From the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Father, as we look at this text this morning, we do pray that we would grasp something of the tragedy of, of sin and the great destruction that it brings. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts, Lord, would convict my heart. We pray, Lord, that, that you would be working in us the things that only you know need to be worked in us, given the place that we are at this morning as each of us comes this, to worship, to look at your word together. Father, we, we want your, your word to be clear. That's what we want to, to learn from, Lord, more than, more than my words this morning. And so we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and, and be our, our teacher and, 
and lead us into the hope of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, this scene here that we're given in Genesis chapter 4, it is, it is full of some, some rich imagery here. Let's, let's retell the story a bit, just to make sure that we're tracking well through it and, and really grabbing a hold of what has been set before us there. This depiction that we're given, it, it falls somewhere in the, the realm of kind of an impressionistic painting where colors are, are highlighted for us and, and light comes in and, and reveals certain things that are, that are going on. We, we can get kind of this vivid image of what's happening there. So it, it falls somewhere between, between there, that kind of a, a painting and then a clip maybe from a, a horror film, doesn't it? Somewhere in there, we, we get this, this imagery that, that we, we're, we're given this image of a, a beast of sin that's behind a door. We get to see there's blood that's crying out of this open mouth ground. And then the same ground that later on will refuse. It will refuse to give its strength to, to Cain, who has been a worker of it. Such rich imagery, but dark imagery in many ways. But, but this passage isn't without some, some beautiful imagery as well, because what do we have there? We get this scene of, of this, this pleasant look at a heavenly father who's regarding with favor his faithful child and Abel. And we, we get... Even for Cain, there's, there are these patient and, and kind words, at least at the beginning, to Cain. Kind words to the prodigal. And really, that's where the author keeps us on this certain character on Cain, doesn't he, as we track through this passage. Abel quickly disappears, and we're to learn our, our lesson from the account of Cain and and how things transpire in, in his life. And so that's what we'll see this morning. Because, see, this morning as we look at this passage, we need to be warned. We need to be warned of sin's deadly effect on relationship on so many levels. We need to be warned of that. We need to be warned of it because we'll find in this passage that sin can become our merciless master. Sin can become a merciless master for us, we see in the very first verses there, verses 1 through 7. But again, we, we did talk about, didn't we, how chapter 4, it doesn't open dark. It, it opens with some, some beauty, some, some light. We, we find these first people on the earth, Adam and Eve, and in many ways we, we see this picture of how they're, they're walking in obedience to be, to be fruitful, right, and to, to fill the earth. We see that they're enjoying this relationship that God has, has given them. And that, that leads to another very joyful thing in the gift of a child, Cain, who is born. And then, behold, another, Abel, is given to Adam and Eve. Cain is recognized as this, this firstborn who's a gift from the God that Adam and Eve serve. It's in Eve's language there that, that we hear that, She's, she's acknowledging that what she has is something that came through God's 
favor on her, God's kindness to her. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. God has given this. It's a, it's a bright scene as Cain and Abel are born, and it seems like this first family, despite the fact that they've been torn away from the garden because of their sin, there are good things that are still taking place. You know, we, we see this, this same kind of beautiful scene in today's sinful world, don't we? When a, when a baby is, is born or perhaps a child is adopted into a believing family, everyone gathers around and, and those parents, they, they look and they say, this is from the Lord and it is a good gift that he has provided. We're going to rejoice in this, in this miracle that we see happen before us. It's the kind of gift, it's the kind of brightness that's carried forward in humanity, isn't it? We have it today. Things fast forward quite quickly at this point, don't we? Cain and Abel don't stay, these little children, these little boys who we probably could could picture uh, running around, chasing one another, playing games that that children play as as they're young. But right away, we're actually taken to the fact that they're, they're grown up and they have jobs to do, right? They have jobs to do. Cain, he's, his job is to, to work the, the ground that brings forth produce uh, for, for their family. Abel, on the other hand, he has a job and, and uh, it's, it's raising, uh, raising up and taking care of the flocks that God provides. Both of them are, are young men now probably at, at this point and As we're introduced to them, quickly we see that there's some things that are very much the same and that they both bring an offering to the Lord. Probably Adam leading his his family in this at God's instruction that we don't have the specifics on. It's very much the same, but at the same time we see that God sees into the situation and there are some distinctions that are made. Because Cain is... He's presented as this perhaps religious, dutifully religious man in bringing his offering. While Abel, he's, he's really presented as a favored one of, of faith, as a man of faith, isn't he? And you might say, well, boy, he's the religious guy and the other one is the, the guy of, uh, of faith. And how are you getting all that from these passages? Well, I'm cheating a little bit and looking forward in the scriptures because we're given further description of Cain and Abel as we would as we would look further on in God's word. See see Cain is presented to us he he lives on in history he sure does but he lives on in history as someone who's presented more as as the father of of the religious prophet killers that we see. Uh, we get a glimpse of this in Matthew 23. I invite you to turn with me there as as Jesus is pronouncing woes against the scribes and the Pharisees. We get a picture of why we should see Cain in, in this light and, and what it is for, for him to have his name carried on in history. Matthew 23, verse 29, starting there. It's about three quarters of the way through your Bible, if you're still finding it there. Matthew 23, 29. says, Woe to you, Jesus says, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus, 
you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape from being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. Here it comes. Here's the tie-in. From the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So you hear there as Jesus is calling it, out the religious leaders of, of his day. These men who were, who were great at obeying many rules. Who were great at bringing the offerings to God that he asked for. These religious men that Jesus looks at and he says. You are in the line of your father Cain who murdered his brother. That's your father Cain. And everybody who is like him after that. So that's a picture that we have of Cain as this religious man. We see also that Cain, there's, there's more going on than just simply Cain just being a bad man, just operating merely out of his own sin. He's actually in cooperation with someone in his sin. We see very clearly from 1 John 3, 12, we're told we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. So, so Cain is this religious man who actually serves his own father, the devil. The serpent that's introduced in the chapter just previous to this. So that's the picture that we have of Cain. Cain, this, this uh, religious man. We have a further picture of Abel as well in the scriptures, don't we? We get a little bit more almost in how God feels about uh, Abel uh, from the fact that, that God looks with favor both on him and on the offering that he brings there as we, we look at verses 4 and 5. He's, he's favored of God. God had, has regard for him. But again, if we look further in the scriptures, Abel is somewhat of a, a model for us of another kind of man. He's a He's a man who gave in, in faith, we're told. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we read that by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Interesting, isn't it? How many words do we have recorded from Abel in the scriptures? <laughs> and, and which of these two sons has the life that speaks the right thing to us today? But Abel, his faith tells the story. His faith speaks to us. His faith is what is carried on in, in history as he is recalled throughout the scriptures. That's Abel. Much different than Cain. All the attention here pretty quickly shifts towards Cain. He's the story that we're following here in Genesis chapter 4. And 
And Cain, we get the sense he's really struggling here. We see that very quickly. He, he's, in a, he's in a dark spot in, in his soul. And what does, what does God do when he comes to Cain but presents Cain with an opportunity? Because that's who God is and is his kindness toward Cain. He tells Cain, Cain, you're, you're angry. Why are you so angry? Why is your face fallen here? If you do not do well, won't, won't, you, be, won't you be accepted if you do well? Cain, here's, here's an opportunity. I know that your face is downcast right now. But literally there, that, that uh, word for accepted that's used, you, you could translate it as a, as a lifting up that can take place. And so there's the scene, all right? Uh, uh, Cain's face has, has fallen. He's dejected. He's hot with anger. And God tells him there can, be, there can be a lifting up that can take place, implied there, of your face. To where God, who's, who's looking uh, with regard on, on Abel, his, his child of, of faith there, there can be a similar thing. There, there can be a shifting of gears for Cain as well. His face, though down, can be lifted up. And he can be in relationship with God as well. Like his brother Abel. God presents Cain with an opportunity. Do well, Cain. Do well. Choose well. And know the joy of relationship with me is, is part of what we hear in these statements from, from God. Cain's given an opportunity, but he's also given a warning. He's not just told, Cain, wouldn't it be better to be accepted? He's saying, Cain, you are in a dangerous spot. Let me tell you how dangerous you are. You're in this spot right now where you think you're safe and you think that you can sit here in your anger and you think that all can be okay and you just hating your brother and not being near to me and just doing your religious duty. But, but Cain, here's really what's happening here. Be warned. Be warned. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. He tells Cain in this warning, beware of the hungry beast behind the door. Oh, what a picture, isn't it? This hungry beast behind the door that wants to have Cain. He says, beware of this. This picture, it fits well with other things that we're told about Cain and other things that we're told about sin and who the father of sin is. We read in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour the picture here that, that we receive, it's, it's actually language that's being picked up from Genesis chapter 3, the one that we highlighted earlier. Remember the relational tension that we spoke of that, that had come on the, the scene where there was a, a desiring that Eve would have for, for Adam and his place, but Adam would, would rule over him. God's saying, look at the situation here. Sin's desire is for you. You must rule over it. Because this, this language, it, it seems to denote something of relational tension that's on the scene. There's, there's a problem with relationships at hand. There's, a, there's an issue where the weak are going to be at the mercy of the strong. And so God is telling Cain, sin wants to be strong over you. Rule over it. 
It wants to overtake you. It wants to take you out completely, Cain. Further than just the, the sinful thoughts that you're having in your heart, it wants, it wants its full way with you. Perhaps you know something of these moments when you're in that place and, and your heart is twisted up. And you're in this, this moment where you know that there is a righteous way to go. You know that there is a good way to follow your God and, and you, feel, you feel this heat rising up like the heat that was in Cain probably at that time. We, we already know that he was angry and he was, he was fuming. There were issues in his, his heart. And he's in this place now where he's at this crossroads between desire that he has in his heart and giving full vent into disobedience to that sin that's in his heart. Can you identify with, with Cain? You know, hopefully you can because... This was the doorway that, that Cain was at right now in his anger. And the, the beast behind the, the door was this murderous beast that would come upon him. But, but we know full well that we live in a world, we walk through life, and it's as if we're in this hall that's, that's full of doors with, with beasts on the other side, aren't there? there there's, a, there's a door that you might be at right now or that you've been at this week, and it it might just be a, a, a door with a, a gossip beast behind that door and you're, you're tempted to, to open that up because you've got something so good, so juicy to share. It could be that there's this door of, of sexual immorality that's behind that door that, that wants to have its full way with you and you're entertaining thoughts right now. And you're, you're desiring to look at things that you shouldn't look at. And you're desiring to, to be with people in a way that you shouldn't be with them. It might be that you're here this morning and you're facing the door of unbelief. Maybe unbelief in small ways, smaller ways in the promises of God that he's given to you as a believer. Or maybe you're at this door of, of complete unbelief in who God says he is and who Jesus is is and the one who's, who's come to be Lord and Master and Savior of this world and of your heart. Maybe that door is a door of, of unbelief for you this morning. Whatever it is, whatever that door looks like, both Cain had at a certain moment and, and we have this morning an opportunity to lock that door, to lock that door and to run to the Lord in desperate faith. That's the place where we sit this morning. That's the opportunity that we have been giving. There, there's, there's hope. There's hope to those who lock the door and run to the Lord in desperate faith. Hebrews 4.16 speaks of this hope. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because that's the state that we're in, is a time of need. That's the place we find ourselves in, a time of need. If our hands are going for that door to open it up and give full vent to sin. We have a good God who wants to give us mercy and grace. So, so that's, that's sin. That's what we see it, it does. It becomes our our merciless master. That's the warning that we're given. 
of what's to come if we give in to it. But sin, it does other things, doesn't it? It also, it separates us from others around us, we see. Sin separates us from others around us. We get to verse 8, and what do we see? We see that everything has turned terrible. Everything has turned tragic. There's a kill that takes place. A murder. And then the rest just goes downhill because sin does what God says it does and taking over our hearts our lives and leading us down into a place of despair particularly how it separates us from from other people see Cain again not all of God's words seem quite as stern for Cain as as he's in this this place of considering what to do. We, we, we talked about that. And even after this act that Cain commits in murdering his brother, God comes to him. And, and much like he questioned Adam, his father, when they were still in the garden, when he comes to Adam, he, he says, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? He comes to Cain perhaps with a, a similar in a similar way, a, a similar tenor there that we have. And he has a question for Cain even after he's fallen into sin. Cain, where's, where's Abel, your brother? Obviously God knows what has happened here, but he gives Cain this opportunity to, to speak some, some truth, to, to own up to what he has done. Even like Adam, his, his father, who did it quite un, imperfectly and did plenty of blame shifting, but he at least recognized Boy, there's a big problem here. There's, there's an issue. But what does Cain do as he's questioned by God? He remains hard. He throws it back in God's face. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He throws back at God when he's questioned. And we look at this, this situation. We look at the, the words that are on the page and the way this is depicted and Everything is speaking out against Cain. Even in the way that we read about the nature of this crime and its severity. You might have noticed as we were reading in about verses 8 through 11. There's one word that keeps coming up that it seems necessary to reiterate. And that's the word brother. Because the nature of this crime is, is made very specific. Even in the questioning and then in the answering and then in the consequences. Listen to verses 8 through 11 again. Six times we'll hear about the brother. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Your brother, your brother, my brother. It's repeated time and again it's speaking out against Cain. Speaking to the great sin that he has committed in killing his brother. Everyone and, and everything, even the ground, is witnessing against Cain. God, all-knowing, all-seeing, 
calls on these witnesses, looks to them and says, everything speaks against what you have done, Cain. You would think God, when he came to this point of of questioning Cain, perhaps more tenderly at the beginning, Cain would say, ah, God knew in the garden with my parents. He knows what's happening here. But you also know the nature of sin and its deception, right? You know the nature of, of sin that's in our own hearts, and, and we see it perhaps more worn right on the sleeves of, of children, if you've had any interaction with them, or ever been one, namely all of us. We've, we've seen this, we've felt this, right? There's the child who's been told not to raid the pantry before supper, and Behold, you look, and there are witnesses crying from the ground and onto the carpet. And there's, there's witness from this open mouth and everything around it that speak to the fact that this child has transgressed. The order is given. And you ask the child, did you get into the pantry? No, I don't know. No. I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't know. It can't be. <laughs> Everything is witnessing to the contrary. But sin is deceptive in the littlest of hearts. And that carries on. We just get better at it as we go and as we grow up in life, don't we? The separations begin. We see how every relationship here now starts getting torn apart. Obviously, relationship with family is disrupted. Not just with Cain and Abel, but but soon Cain will be driven away from his parents. E- either way, my goodness, the, the difficulty that would be there as they would even try to relate to him, even if he had stayed in the area, that relationship is disrupted with family. Relationship is even disrupted with the ground. Cain's very livelihood, Cain's uh, opportunity to, to provide for him himself and and for his, his family, the ground's no longer going to yield its strength to him. That relationship that was a good, strong relationship that he had is disrupted. His relationship with all others is going to be disrupted as well, isn't it? There's going to be a price, as it were, on Cain's head. People are going to be looking at him as a fugitive in the earth as it's populated over these some 900 years that Cain has to, to live on the earth as, as the earth is populated. Relationships are damaged, they're destroyed. But Cain at the beginning of this, let's, let's remember, he has opportunity. He has opportunity even after he has fallen into his sin to do what we all need to do. Even if we have given vent to sin. We have opened that door. There's the opportunity to to listen submissively to God right now. Even after perhaps a great fall and be reconciled to others. Something that we can can have by God's grace. As we see in the life of of Cain and even as the ensuing conversation between Cain and, and God Things only get darker. Hardness only increases, doesn't it, in our hearts when we continue in sin, when we don't deal with sin. Hardness increases. Insensitivity becomes greater and greater, more blinding 
and more blinding. Sin separates us from, from others, and the greatest one that it ultimately separates us from is God himself, doesn't it? That's what we see in the final verses, verses 13 through 16. We see that God's words to Cain have only caused him distress. My, my punishment is greater than I can bear. It's all over. All my relationships are over. Everything is, is broken. My punishment is greater than I can bear, God. He sees that God knows all. He sees that nothing's been hidden from his sight. He's in this state of hopeless despair as he views what is really going to take place as consequence for his sin. <laughs> Even in this, God is such a, such a good and gracious God. He, he shows his, his grace to Cain in, in some measure. It's going to be really an impersonal grace. It's going to extend kind of a, a common grace, if we could say it that way, to, to Cain. And, and giving him this, this mysterious warning mark or sign that he puts on him doesn't he? So that those who would find Cain, who would be looking perhaps for his life, would not take it. There would be a, a warning there to others. But you know, I, I think that as we look at these verses, really, the saddest phrase in this account, I think, comes in verse 16. You might say, well, how can you say that? I mean, a man has been killed. A man has been murdered. Not just that, but a, a brother, someone's own flesh and blood has been taken away. A murder has taken place. How can you say that in verse 16 is the saddest in the whole account? Well, we read there, then Cain went away from the presence of of the Lord. That word there for, for presence is the same word that's used for face earlier in the passage. See, because we have this, this image, right, of, of Cain having this dejected look. He has this, this face that's, that's cast down, but he's told that there can be a lifting up of, of his face so that he can be in relationship with his God. That that can take place. That's the hope that's earlier on in the passage where there can be a son and a father relationship. But here's the conclusion. Here's the end of the face story. Cain goes away from the face of the Lord, of Yahweh, his God. Cain is separated from God, that is the saddest phrase in the story. So much more than a geographical thing for Cain, who where he's settling somewhere else where he won't be in a place where he's perhaps seen God at work before. He is going away from the face of God out of relationship with him in all ways. This story is a terrifying story if we view it rightly if in any way this morning this is your current trajectory maybe it's more in a corner of your life an area of your life where you're thinking it doesn't have that much effect on the way things go for me I can deal with this thing 
over here. Or maybe, if, like we said at the beginning, this beast behind the door for you is this beast of full, all-out unbelief. If this is your trajectory in any way, in any measure, this morning, the call in Scripture is clear. Repent. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin and call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord with this heart of faith will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're told. There's hope today. There's hope today for all who are tender in any measure to the tragedy of your sinfulness. See, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ never opened any door to sin. He never opened any door to any kind of sin. But you know what he did do? He did leap between sinners and the beasts that are behind a million doors that we have opened. Christ has done that. Jesus Christ has done that. He has left in the way. And he has taken that sin that has had its way with him to the cross. To die for those sins and then to raise, leaving those sins forever apart from himself. And forever apart from those who have faith in him. He has jumped in the way of the doors that we have opened and we can have hope. Now listen to 1 Peter 2, 22 through 25 that illustrates this. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's the good news that we have through Jesus Christ this morning, regardless of our sin and how great it might be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that there is hope in Jesus' name, that there is hope when we look to the cross. Father, we want to, to walk in the steps of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, of Abel who, was, who, who prepared us to see who, who Christ would be. Lord, we want to be men and women of faith, Lord, and where we do not want to be men and women of faith, please grip our hearts with this story about Cain and the tragedy of his sin. Lord, Lord, we thank you. We praise your name this morning. And we pray, Father, I pray for everyone in here that they would know the joy of knowing you and being freed from their sin. Thank you that you offer that to us today. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.